As you know, the On Farm podcast is brought to you by the team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. And I just wanted to remind you about a new initiative that's happening here called On Record. On Record is a project to preserve voices, stories and memories for the future with your very own audio recording. So we're recording memories of rural life. We're travelling around Scotland, working with families and organisations to capture precious voices of family members or staff members or long-serving office bearers to preserve those for posterity and sometimes for historical value. So if you think this project is something that you'd like to be involved in and maybe you have a grandparent or a parent that you'd like to capture on audio while you can, please do get in touch. You can find out more at onrecordmemories.co.uk. Hello and welcome to this, the penultimate episode in our series with the Royal Highland and Agricultural Society of Scotland. Next week for episode 14, we're finishing off exactly where we started with a chat with Highland Society Chairman Bill Gray and Chief Executive Alan Laidlaw. Three months on, they'll be telling us what they can about what plans are being put in place to keep the society going through these uncertain and difficult times. It will be essential listening for anyone interested in the future of the society and the Royal Highland Show. It's been a really tough year. We're not going to have an easy spell for the next wee while and there's never been a better time to sort of get in behind us. We can make plans as much as we like, but ultimately if the First Minister or one of her cohorts stands up uh, on a Wednesday or a Thursday and says something, the landscape all of a sudden changes again. This time, though, we're devoting a whole episode basically to saying thank you. There are plenty in rural Scotland and in the food and drink economy who've gone above and beyond, scrambling to keep their communities fed, to give an extra push for charity, or just continuing on with their jobs in difficult or unusual circumstances. This is a roundup of six stories. It's not even the tip of the iceberg of people who deserve thanks, so please just treat it as a starting point. Perhaps there are people out there who you'd like to thank. Please do tweet them using the hashtag unsungheroes. We have a fab gif on our Twitter, which is at on underscore farm UK, which you can share and tag somebody who deserves that thanks. First up for us is someone who represents all of the farm gate services, so farriers, contractors, and in this case, vets. My name's Kath Dunn. I'm a veterinary surgeon. I work for Gledon Vets and based primarily at the moment in, in the Kelso branch. I'm 100% farm animal vet. And Kath, you are also a director of the Royal Highland and Agricultural Society of Scotland, is that right? Uh, yes, I've just been asked to come on as a one-year director for um, the, the next session, 2021, for, for Borders Region. So that's quite an exciting new challenge and uh, something I'm looking forward to, a big honour to be asked to, to be involved with um, the society. So how has it been for you since March when, when this all happened? Ironically, I was actually in self-isolation before lockdown happened because unfortunately my husband Gordon was really quite ill the week before lockdown um my daughter was then ill um, and you know we obviously didn't know at that point whether it was COVID or not but we had to do the self-isolation so I was kind of locked down here and thankfully my son and I were fine and we you know got through it and husband's fine but then it was just yeah back to work as normal because obviously COVID hitting right at lambing and calving time you know the farm animal side just had to go on as normal there were a few jobs that we could, you know, put aside, um, you know, unnecessary, you know, sort of routine blood sampling, monitoring things. But, you know, our, our main spring work is, is calving and lambing. And, you know, we just 
had to just just to get on with this this the same you know and and work with our farmers as we do um thankfully this year the after a very wet start to the the spring the spring turned out to be you know one of the better ones weather wise so that made a massive difference to how people's you know calving went how lambing went and just how how spirits were so everybody was you know getting on and getting through it with with good good heart you know um it was a bit strange having to do a c-section on a cow in the middle of the night with full ppe on because obviously you're getting up close and personal with farmers when you're you know doing doing cesareans etc and i wouldn't say it's the most comfortable thing in the world to have to have uh, masks on when doing a lot of farm work but um you know we tried our best to stick to the rules and tried to you know socially distance where we could and i think farmers you know did, did appreciate that and you know, hopefully people have become more aware of, of where their food comes from and how important, you know, when things were getting low in the shops, you know, and realise how how valuable the, the food chain is and how, you know, keeping food flowing is, is so crucial and how it can change so very quickly when there's something that interrupts that, you know, chain of supply. We've seen a huge surge, haven't we, in, you know, people buying local beef boxes or cheese products or whatever, and of course... All of those products rely on, on vets and, and various other people within that, that supply chain. So if we can get a bit more of an understanding from the general public as a result of this, then that will be the silver lining on the cloud, hopefully. Yeah, I hope that people, you know, who have supported their local butchers and their local, you know, farms, farm shops, etc., you know, continue to do that because that's it's like all the local businesses, if we don't use them, then, you know, we, we don't have them there. And I mean, I work, I say, out of Kelso, which is a real market town. It still has its farmer's market, you know, which is, is generally well supported anyway. But, you know, there's quite a lot of our local farms are now, you know, selling direct, you know, from the farm gate. And, you know, I just think it's great you know, if people continue to, to realise how important it is, you know, that they, they do support these things. You sound really passionate about the farming industry and, and it sounds as though you're proud to be part of that and to, to help uh, and be a central cog in the wheel of, of keeping this amazing produce on people's plates. Is, is that right? Or if I put words in your mouth? Yeah, well, you, you maybe know, obviously, that I'm, I'm married to a farmer anyway, so there's not much rest from farming it kind of uh, consumes one's life you know go around sorting people's problems all day and then come home and try and sort the ones here but no no I mean farming is is in my blood my father and father before were farmers and my husband and maybe my son you know will come on so you know we we are farming people it's what we do it's what we we breathe it's what we you know it is your way of life and and I've always you know, it sounds a real cliche whenever I was wanting to go to vet school, I wanted to be a farm vet. I didn't want to just be a vet. I wanted to be a farm vet. It was what I was going to do. So I feel very privileged and lucky that I've been able to follow that career exactly as, as I had hoped it would be. You are an unsung hero as far as I'm concerned, not just in COVID, but my interaction with vets has been through the horsey world largely. Um, the bedside manner that I have encountered through the veterinary sector has been so much better than the bedside manner for any doctors I've <laughs> I've encountered I mean and they've just been superb you know and sometimes it's really tough times you know in most of the time they're coming to do vaccinations but you know sometimes they come to do a fairly nasty job and, and they're dealing with clients in street you know streams of tears and and yet they're always so just so superb at it um at their job 
Um, so I'm forever grateful. And I think everybody listening will, will be very grateful for their vet. Oh, you're very welcome. I better not make any comment on doctor's bedside manner because I actually have an older <laughs> sister who's a doctor. And we have regular arguments about who has the bedside manner that's better. So <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. But thank you for your <laughs> kind comments. Many thanks to Kath Dunn. As a reminder, this episode is a selection box of six quite different conversations, all with people whose only connection to each other is that we think that they're people who we need to say thank you to. People in food and farming who, in one way or another, went above and beyond during coronavirus lockdown. And next up, we have Aholia. So I'm Kerry Roberts. Um, If you hear a dog barking, that's my dog, Rab. Um, I work for my family business, Ian Roberts Transport, Our main job is uh, moving potatoes for a major supermarket. So we collect the potatoes in boxes from farms around Scotland and then take them down to distribution centres in England. Yeah, so, I mean, the only thing we can compare it to is Christmas. But there wasn't the warning that you would usually get with Christmas. Before there was ever a lockdown, obviously, the supermarkets kind of went empty. And I think what it was was like, after the rice and pasta sold out, the next thing people seemed to go for was potatoes. So it was kind of almost overnight. One week we went from being normal to the next week, the demand had doubled. Wow. Yeah. So how did you cope with that? Because as you say, you know, when it's Christmas, you can plan, you can have strategies in place, you can have yeah. staff ready. How did you cope with this almost overnight rush in demand for, for what you were doing? Yeah, well, the first week was probably the most difficult, but then... After the the virus kind of became more serious, what happened was other sections of the haulage industry became more quiet. So we were lucky that there were other companies that we could subcontract our work out to, um, which was obviously quite good for us and for them. Yeah, so you were keeping busy, keeping the income going, but then also providing work for people who who otherwise might have, have seen their sector just kind of, as you say, go dead overnight. And it must have been challenging in other ways as well, though. I mean, because you've you've got this increased workload, you're bringing on new people, so that's more people to manage. Mm. Um, But it would have been challenging in different ways because you also had, or your drivers would have had rules to stick to that they they hadn't had before. Um, Mm. And presumably also, it would have been difficult for them to access, you know, food out on the road and and things like that because, you know, a lot of cafes and and places were closed. So how, how did they manage that? They they seem to manage the change in rules okay. Uh, Because their job, they don't really have to come face to face with people normally anyway. That wasn't that wasn't too much of a challenge for them. But the lack of facilities was was definitely a big issue. That's something that's kind of an issue normally for them. So to have the services all completely closed was well well was difficult and that meant that they had to plan themselves. it was quite it was quite hard because obviously we we're telling them wash your hands and the media is saying wash your hands wash your hands but even at uh, petrol stations fueling up they were just speaking through a window there was literally no place to wash their hands going up and down the road so i would say that was probably the biggest struggle for them like no showers no hot food they were lucky that because we do the same routes they're able to plan a bit more and I can imagine for other drivers that weren't always doing the same runs, that that must have been very difficult for them. Yes, because they're getting the rules coming in one ear, but actually then they, they don't necessarily have the facilities with them, yeah. so that, that's difficult to, to abide by it. Um, and now I know that um, 
some of your regular drivers um you had one shielding i understand and yeah. then somebody else was a potential covid case so mm-hmm. um that must have meant that the drivers who were kind of fully operational must have been working really hard and and yeah. really kind of going up above and beyond their their u- the usual requirements yeah, definitely. So, so um can you tell me a bit about them and how they've coped yeah so when i've asked them they were definitely starting earlier finishing later and obviously the government did relax the driver's hours, which we kind of gave them the choice themselves whether or not they wanted to like to use the, ex- the extra leeway. But yeah, it was definitely longer days for them, longer drives for them. And I understand that you're in charge of health and safety, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You you were presumably working harder than ever yourself as well, so, so yeah. everybody must have pulled together. Uh, yeah, how definitely. did you find it? It was like one week the demand doubled and then the next week we all kind of thought, oh, we better, you know, have procedures in place to keep everybody safe. So, yeah, it was definitely a bit more stressful. Um, Everybody had to come together. I mean, like the supermarket we work for, the drivers, us, we were all definitely working together. Um, But, yeah, like I say, it was just kind of being unprepared and kind of having to almost figure it out overnight. Now, I... I don't think you're going to like the, this phrase, but but we're using it quite a lot in this episode of the podcast, and it is unsung heroes because <laughs> whether we whether you like it or not, people were desperate for flour and pasta and potatoes and many other things, and none of us would have got any of our groceries if it wasn't for you and your drivers. Even <laughs> if you don't take that label yourself, which I think you should, you must think that about your drivers that actually yeah. they've they've kind of really gone above and beyond and yeah. that they deserve credit you know obviously we were all out there clapping for the NHS quite rightly so um, but there are many other people there who are other types of unsung heroes who deserve some credit mm. what, do, what do you think about your drivers in that case yeah definitely I mean they did all go above and beyond and like you say the rules got changed that like usually you could only drive six days in a row, but some of them were driving seven days in a row because obviously the rules had changed. But it's actually been really nice because I would say that the public seems to have kind of become more aware of the job that lorry drivers do. One of the places we go, the drivers have to go through a village and this lady phoned and said that she was from this village. So my mum took the call and she's thinking like, oh no, they're going to complain. And the lady just said, please tell your driver, thanks for driving so slowly through the village and thank you for keeping the supermarket's uh, shelf stocked. That's never happened. We've never had anything like that before, you know, in 20 years. It's a shame that it did take a pandemic for the kind of recognition to, to happen, but it's definitely really nice, you know. I don't think people always realised, you know, we, if we ever got complaints saying, your vehicle's huge and it's coming through my village or my town... And I don't think those people always realise that it's going to your shop. <laughs> and that's what kind of what this episode is all about. There are so many people, vets, farriers, hauliers, you name it, who are underpinning the agricultural industry. You know, these potatoes don't just fly onto the shelves. Somebody's got to grow them and somebody's got to, to get them there. So I, I think it's, it's really heartwarming. Yeah, I definitely feel now like af- after seeing the shops go empty people now realize the job that you know tractors and lorries do thanks to kerry roberts all over scotland farm shops cafes delis and food businesses change the way that they sell food 
doing doorstep deliveries to make sure that people shielding can get the food they need without leaving the house. Our next conversation is with someone, Ellie Sinclair from Aberdeenshire, who runs a company called VegCo that sells jams, sauces and pickles. But when lockdown started, Ellie set up the Northeast Food Hub, staffed by volunteers and completely from scratch. It was a bit of a mammoth project, actually. So we started it by recruiting as many local producers as we could to fit into various categories. So we had meat producer, we had milk, we had yogurt, cheese, bread, you name it, we had it or we had somebody to fit that category. I wanted to provide a service that had basically everything people would want from their weekly shop. So fruit and veg, you know, everything from the basics to the more specialist things like, you know, cakes and all sorts of things. We, we managed to, as far as I could see, we pretty much filled as many categories as we could. So we had um, around 30 producers involved. The way the site worked was that they had their own um, page, basically, that they could edit their stock and they could update their products every week. But then from the customer's point of view, they just saw one huge shop, which was quite nice. If I close my eyes, I can, can kind of imagine, yeah. not chaos by any means, but kind of organi- organised chaos, maybe. It's a polite um, way to put it, yeah. Because it must have been a mass. <laughs> It must, have been, it must have been a huge job. And, and where did you find all these people to help you? So there was two of us that ran it and organised it. We took all the ambient product into the shed and then we had, we actually hired in a six metre chilled uh, shipment container. Wow, yeah. So we took all the ambient into the shed and we put all the chilled product into the fridge <laughs> Meanwhile, I've planned all the routes on the Monday of off the week for running the market so that we would have, we usually had about eight routes a week that were running with anything between 20 to 40 drops per route. A lot of these people you would be delivering to wouldn't be able because of either lockdown restrictions or their own health or shielding. They wouldn't have been able to go and get their deliveries. So you must have some really lovely stories of people who were just so grateful to to be getting this delivery yeah I've got a few um we had quite a lot of shielding families or individuals because sometimes that was some of the only people they were seeing really all week was me or some of like some of my the volunteers that were doing the delivery driving you know as the weeks went on some of the delivery drivers you would as they got used to the addresses that they were going to, because we had we had quite a loyal following. So we were going to a lot of the same houses almost every week. So a lot of the drivers were then, you know, waving to people through windows and having a chat through the door. And people were getting excited at the fact that they knew that some of the boys were coming to the house. Um, on one of the weeks, one of my one of my pals, he was one of our volunteer drivers and he he had an accident and damaged his back and you know that i had to put an email out to everybody just to say look we've had to take in another volunteer and you know they might not be as quick um this week to get your order just to let you know that it will be today and blah 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 and the volume of emails i got back asking if he was okay they didn't care when their order was coming they were just asking if adam was okay oh that's <laughs> so, so it was nice, yeah it was yeah, yeah it was really nice 
So you mentioned there that the drivers were volunteers. So I'm guessing, therefore, that this initiative was just kind of washing its face and that it wasn't ever designed to be profitable, but it was more of a community a community gift, I guess. Is, is that true? Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, we... So all the volunteers that helped run the whole hub, they were all furloughed, furloughed or redundant. Yeah, yeah. Now, Ellie, the title of this episode is is Unsung Heroes. <laughs> you might be you might be a bit too modest to accept that title yourself, so we shall bestow it on you ourselves. But I imagine also, I think you thoroughly deserve it, but I imagine also so do a huge number of people that, that you've been working with and have been working for you. Um, yeah, can you just kind of describe how you feel about that team of people being being classified as unsung heroes? Well, I'm now the colour of a beetroot, so thank you for that. Um, <laughs> luckily, nobody can see me. I'm now taking a hot sweat, yeah. Um, no, it's I'm, I'm really proud of of the team and we we saw the opportunity and we we wanted to connect the community and provide a service for them you know all we wanted was for them to to make use of it you know it wasn't it was no it was for no you know personal gain you know I wanted I wanted to do this to make sure you know I've a lot of my friends I could instantly see were gonna struggle so you know by providing this service where all they really had to do was turn up to our farm once a week, dump their stuff. Oh, Ellie will count it. It'll be okay. It'll be fine. You know, they just turned up, delivered, and off they went. Yeah. So actually, there's a whole range of unsung heroes here. The producers are because they've been keeping this going. You couldn't have done what you did without those 30-plus producers. Your drivers, everybody packing, everybody else involved – and then I suppose it strikes me actually that that in the wider kind of rural food and farming sector, one group of unsung heroes is actually the public because they've really come out in droves and supported local business throughout this whole pandemic. Completely. The the support we had from the public was, you know, when we started it, we had no idea if anybody really was that bothered. Were they just going to go to the shops were they that fussed about continuing to support local businesses? That's that's always goes through my head, you know, what, when it comes to it, what are people really going to do? And to see the volume of people that connected with us and engaged with us and wanted to be part of it, and we're getting new people every week, and it's just grew and grew and grew. That was Ellie Sinclair of VegCo, so thank you to her. She'll be needing a long lie down in a dark room. She must be absolutely exhausted after all those weeks of constant effort. Our next conversation is with someone who spotted an opportunity and boy, did she run with it. Writing and publishing a recipe book slash lockdown diary, all to raise money for her local hospital and for the Royal Highland Education Trust. Okay, my name is Anne Redpath and I live at the Yet Farm, which is in Hoonham, um, right down our march fence is the English border between, so we're down between Kelso and Jedburgh, right in the heart of the Scottish borders. When lockdown, just before it started, I was amazed because everyone seemed to be panic buying pasta and rice and I thought, I wonder what these people are going to do with, I'd been at Costco and the huge bags of pasta and rice were going. So I thought, that's weird. I wonder why they're not buying a bag of tatties, because you can do so much more with a bag of tatties. And then when lockdown started, people were struggling to get flour and struggling to get bread. And I suggested that if they had flour in their cupboards, maybe they could make some scones. And I put on a scone recipe. 
And somebody said, oh, good idea. And then the following day, I think it was how to make self-raising flour if you only had plain flour. And somebody said, oh, you should start a blog. And I'm always one, if somebody suggests something, I think, oh, that's a good idea. Never one to say no. Uh, so it's sort of, and at the start, it was sort of tatty scones, pancakes, very basic, traditional, easy store cupboard recipes that people would make. And then it just sort of grew arms and legs and I started adding a wee story maybe about what the recipe meant to me or what it meant to my family. It's a sort of collection of my family recipes. I know every family has their own things that they make. And then one day I put on 15s. I don't know if you're familiar with 15s, which is the coconut rolled log and it's sliced into circles. And it's the easiest recipe in the world. It's 15 digestives, 15 cherries, 15 marshmallows, half a tin of condensed milk. And I thought, Simple and it got something like 150 shares, 97 likes, it's loads and loads of comments. And I thought that's really bizarre because it's the easiest thing ever. And everyone said, Oh, you should make a book, you know, you should put these things into a book. So the seed was sown, and once the seed was sown, it became a lot easier because I just cut and pasted my Facebook pages. And as I say, it's grown arms and legs, 700 have sold out. And three weeks and I've got another pallet load coming tomorrow. Wow! It's just grown um, unbelievably, which is fabulous. But it's not just recipes, It's that's what a lot of people are finding because I've got in that it's a recipe book, but throughout the whole book and throughout um, the Facebook posts, there's things that I have shared, just all the sort of normal things that were on Facebook, but sort of poems about lockdown and then on this day, you know, the price of diesel was and you know, they're, they're even talking that the Olympics might be cancelled. Can you believe it? And then, of course, two or three weeks later, the Olympics have been cancelled Glastonbury and it's got a whole load of facts all the way through about lockdown. So one of the people in the village shop, who he's also an author, he was saying, you know, it's a, a historic document because it's got a lot of stuff through it. That's really interesting, actually, because I've got um, a couple of spiral-bound recipe books that I think were my grandmother's. When when we pass these ones on to our grandchildren, they can look back and, as you say, it, for, it forms not just a recipe book, but a, a record and a bit of an archive of 2020 and, and everything that happened. So, that's, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so what's the title of this book, Anne? It is called Lockdown and Lambing, Recipe Book and Memories. I should send you a copy. Oh, well, I'd love a copy. I, I will buy a copy because <laughs> I know that some of the revenue is going to charity, isn't it? Can you, can you tell us about that? Yes. When, when it was first suggested, it was at the time that everyone was out doing the clap on a Thursday night. And I thought this would be a good way to raise money for the NHS. We have a, the charity in our Borders General Hospital is called The Difference. And they supported a friend of mine who had a stroke a few years ago. And we've got a few, there's quite a few friends round about that work at the BGH. And I thought, you know, that would be a good chance to support them. And then as it went on, and I was having quite a lot of support from the agricultural community, and I thought RET would be a good charity to support because it sort of, the book sort of does what they try to teach. You know, it's saying go to your local butcher and find out where your stuff's from, buy local, which is what RET are all about, you know, teaching kids where the food comes from and what the agricultural community have to go through to, to produce it sort of thing, so... Yeah, so the money's going to be split between the two of them. Oh, that's amazing. A, a key question, obviously, is how do, how do people get their hands on this book? So the email address to purchase it is £10 with £2 postage. Uh, the email address is lockdownrecipebook at gmail.com and then I'll reply with all the payment details.
Um, it's easy as that. If there's been some people have had That's a problem okay. with the email address, and I don't know why. My sister couldn't send one, and my best friend couldn't send one. So then, just find me on Messenger. I think, or I don't know whether you want to put my name and address. People, if people have don't have any luck with that email address, they can contact us at the podcast, and we can then put them in touch with you. So that that would be a good way of doing it. Well, now I ha- I didn't tell you this at the beginning because I thought you'd be too modest. But the title of this episode of the podcast is called "Unsung Heroes," okay, yeah. um, and <laughs> I thought you might even refuse to talk to me if I told you that because you'd probably be far too modest. Um, but we, you're just the perfect person. This is exactly what we're looking for: is stories of people who've put themselves out a bit. Might be doing something that they enjoy, which is a bonus. But, you know, you've put yourself out. You've dedicated a lot of your time for nothing, all to raise a lot of money for charity. So um, I think everybody in rural Scotland and particularly particularly those who've got a connection with RET and with the BGH uh, should be very grateful and very proud of you. So so thank you on behalf of everybody. Um, thank and, you. Uh, <laughs> Uh, keep up the good work and uh, I'm going to drop you an email later today to, to, to order mine so thank you again Anne we have a bit of a departure next the Highland Show is not on as you know in 2020 but we wanted to give a nod of thanks to the contractors and ground staff and others who are still working hard this year to maintain the site and the grounds next up we'll hear from one of them the Highland Society's long-standing electrical contractors working as hard as ever in this fallow year just a note before we get started, though, there's a bit of an echo on this recording, but it's interesting stuff, so please do stick at it if you can. My name's Kenny Hope. I'm the managing director of Pratt Brothers Edinburgh. We are the electrical contractors and have been for a number of years for the Royal Highland Show. I started in 1978, and it was our job. We used to start around about the end of April, and there'd be a squad of maybe about 68 guys would put these overhead cables on these existing telegraph poles round the showground and we'd work seven days a week. We'd work every night, apart from the weekend, to nine o'clock at night. It's a big place and it, it takes a lot of investment to keep a showground and keep the infrastructure in a, you know, in a usable fashion for such big events. People think that we start the Highland Show maybe three, four weeks before it, but in actual fact, we don't. We never stop doing the Highland Show because of the maintenance that's associated with it. The, 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 the other thing is even like the buildings, to look after the buildings. We have over a thousand emergency light fittings that have to be maintained, checked regularly. We've got about 30 switch panels that need to be serviced and checked on a regular basis. You know, we use about 40 kilometres of cable. Overall, we're using about three megawatts of power when the Highland shows on for the four days. And about 30,000 litres of fuel and numerous kilowatt hours of electricity. So you could compare it with maybe a, a small town. You must have a few a few stories that you could share of times past and escapades and... Um, <laughs> there's, there's one that really sticks in my head is about, and it was hilarious uh, one of the guys was actually removing a switch and there was a, a, a drunk farmer come along <laughs> while he was doing it and he shouted them what are you up to and one of the other guys shouted he's nicking the switch he's stealing the switch at the time the, the, there was a couple of police officers walking <laughs> 
as he's gone back a few years, mate, there was a couple of on duty police officers uh, walking past, and the, the drunk farmer reported them to the police. Well, the police frog marched them down to her hut. And um, my boss at the time, uh, the police said, uh, uh, Do you know this guy? And of course, my boss was quite humorous in that. He says, Never seen him in my life. <laughs> Was so, he was so embarrassed and he said, well, somebody vouch for <laughs> uh, that, that was one of the, the, the funny occasions that happened with us. I mean, there's been numerous things. I mean, there, there was, uh, the, the farmers used to climb up the marquees and have a competition. He was quickest to slide down it and come off the end and things like that, you know. <laughs> but, um, health and safety is all kicked in. You can't even get away with things like that nowadays. But... No, it's, it's uh, I, I love it, and I'm certainly miss it. This year, the chief executive actually said to me a few weeks back that uh, I must be the most relaxed man on the planet, and I not have an island show. I'm going to be stre- normally I'd be stressed out at this time of year having to deal with everything. But at that point, and I said to him, I said, I'm actually doing the island show. I'm pulling all the services out the ground to double check to make sure they're okay. As he's still working at nine o'clock at night, seven days a week. <laughs> is that just better to kind of check it as you normally would? Is that your plan? Is it? It, it needs to get checked because uh, the, the way it is, um, you know, you get all kind of weathers uh, and it, it can affect the switch gear and things. So it's better to take it, get out, check it. The, the cables and boxes and that are that used to be being taken out at that time of year, so leave them to be normal for the time being. <laughs> that was Kenny Hope of Practs Electrical. Apologies again for the audio quality, as you can imagine. It's been a bit of a challenge to get all of these recordings done during lockdown over the last 14 weeks. We're finishing with just one more, and perhaps the most important unsung heroes of all. My name's Lorraine Kevin. I joined RSABI back in October 2008. Before the pandemic, we were all, well, we've got an office out at Ingolston. So the team that are based in the office, we were all there. We were working mostly on the helpline, answering calls. You know, we have calls that come in on a daily basis, but we also had a small bunch of outbound support calls that we offer. So that was a service that we offered to the lonely and vulnerable. You know, if somebody just needed an extra call, we were happy to call out to them. That worked really, really well. And then once COVID hit, we were really, really fortunate that RSABI was set up in a way that the minute we were told to work from home, it happened. And we had our, you know, our internet access, our laptops, and everything just worked seamlessly. We were able to switch our helpline We got three divert lines put in and we were able to straight away have three people on the helpline and rather than just one person with the phone, we were able to split it so that there was three of us doing it and it just just worked really, really well. It would be good to understand and and get from you an idea of of the types of calls that you maybe get and and if those have changed in any way um, since COVID-19 reared its ugly head. Yeah, definitely. The calls that were coming in to start with were maybe from farmers that were worried, um, you know, and inquiring about what sort of Scottish government loans were available for them if if their business was affected. So we had a few calls like that, but then we also had the 
the practical calls from elderly clients who were saying, how will I get my shopping delivered? Do you know where, is there any volunteers in my area? So there were more practical calls, but then we also had, we saw a massive increase in the emotional support that we were, you know, offering. A lot of lonely, isolated people out there. And really, you know, phoning the helpline for them, just for a chat. We've actually seen our calls doubling, our outbound calls doubling over the the pandemic. Um, And of course, now we're at the stage where, you know, people are now going out and about and you'd think these calls would maybe reduce. But you've still got the clients who are so grateful for the support and they don't want you to stop calling them just now. So, yeah, we're still busy with our outbound support calls. I'd say a lot of the calls have been emotional, though. People have suffered bereavement during COVID, you know, and they can't really see their family and attend funerals. So you're, you're offering, you know, you know, support through counsellors if, if that's what they need. Or with lockdown, there's been a lot of family issues. So we have a mediation that we offer and, you know, encourage families to sit down and chat. Um, yeah, it's been a tough time for everybody. But what about you, Lorraine? You know, you've you've been working from home you know you've got a family um to look after and and so so it's kind of changed times for you and then of course adding to that you know you've got the I suppose what you could call a a sort of an emotional burden of hearing people you know some some people who call you are probably quite distressed. We've got a, a good team at RSABI and good managers so if there's any call and we do get distressing calls and you do worry have I said the right thing or maybe I shouldn't have said that, or maybe I should have said something else. So even just offloading to my managers and chatting through with the team, the rest of the helpline team, you know, and have I said the right thing? But we also, as a as a helpline team, we have our own supervisor. So we then can phone someone out with the organisation who is a supervisor for us, and she can, you know, we can chat through anything with her. So you feel like you are, you know, you, you are given the opportunity to offload and if you're worried about things and also having time off the helpline. If you're having a bad day or you're going through something emotional, it's not very good you to be on the helpline because then you're not really able to help anybody else. So we do chat as a team. We do. We always chat in the morning to see how everybody's doing. And... Um, yeah, as I say, we, we have a supervisor, so if I am worried about anything, you know, I can give her a ring. So it's good to offload to her as well. But I guess the sort of slightly on the other side of the coin, I'm imagining that by the same token, um, it's a really satisfying job because, you know, you are able to either help people directly or refer them to somebody else who can help. And so you're, you're making a real difference. That must be quite a, a warm feeling. No, it is. And, and um, yeah, I'm a, per- I'm a people pleaser. I like to help people and, and make, you know, get, get them moved on. But you do want to move them on, Anna. You don't, you know, we do have people that phone regularly and, yeah, it's just for a chat and that's good. But there are people that you speak to maybe really intensely for a couple of weeks, maybe every day. Every morning you phone just to make sure they're up. Have you had your coffee? What's your plan for today? Just simple things. But you phoning them every day really does help. And maybe that'll last for a fortnight, a month, and then the calls can start to stop and you know, or, or reduce. And you maybe phone them once a week and then maybe once a month. Now, Lorraine, the title of this episode is is Unsung Heroes. And I don't imagine that you or any of your colleagues would give yourselves that label. No. 
<laughs> but we would. And, and I think I'd just like to thank you on behalf of everybody who's listening and on behalf of the Highland Society who um, we're doing these podcasts in association with. I think you deserve an enormous thanks, you and your colleagues, for everything that you're doing. Because like you say, we might all need it one day and we might all need to pick up the phone and speak to you. And even if we don't, a family member or a neighbour might do. So I think we should all be incredibly grateful and, and, and thankful to, to you and your colleagues uh, for what you do. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and I will just remind you about the helpline number. As I say, it's, yes. open, it's open from 7 in the morning till 11 in the evening. And the number is 0300 treble one four one double six and we we are really happy to speak to anybody that calls doesn't matter what it's about we will try and you know support you help you or pass you on to somebody that can so thank you Oh, thanks to Lorraine and thanks again to all of the unsung heroes out there in rural Scotland and in food and drink. The people we've spoken to are brilliant, but they're really just examples of many, many, many people who've gone above and beyond. If you can think of someone who fits the bill, tweet them and let them know you're grateful. Just use the hashtag unsung heroes so that we can keep tabs and retweet on your behalf. But that's it for this episode. We're back next time for the final episode in this series with the Royal Highland and Agricultural Society of Scotland. It's a final in-depth chat with the Society's Chairman Bill Gray and Chief Executive Alan Laidlaw and it's not to be missed. So see you then. <laughs>